Rogers. Denver Sports Station. Sports Radio 104.3. The Fan. Sports Radio 104.3. The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this beautiful Colorado day. This is why we live here, folks. I mean, it is gorgeous out. Um, had some on and off weather, but I think we've turned the corner. Don't get me wrong. We'll have some bad weather. We may get a snowstorm. But we're going to get more and more of these nice days, and it's time to get out there. During the course of today's show, we're going we're gonna to talk about getting out there, doing some fishing. Uh, we're going to talk the second hour after Nate's segment. The rest of that hour, we're going to talk a lot of turkey hunting. Bob Hicks from Pheasants Forever is going to join me in the studio. And uh, J.R. will come on from Colorado Clays, and he's compiled a lot of information on patterning turkey shots and guns. And uh, he's been doing it for a few years now, and he's got a wealth of information to share. And, of course, Bob's an avid turkey hunter from way back. He travels, and, and may, we may even sneak in a little bit of his Pheasants Forever stuff when he's here. Um, if you've been following us on Facebook, you know we're going to have a trivia today. We're going to give away about $50 worth of lures sometime during this show. And anybody who's followed Facebook, I'm sure, knows the answer to that trivia question. But if you haven't, you've got time to go look at unless I do it right away here. Also coming up, some programming notes. In the next few weeks, I want to do another program on uh, tick-borne diseases. And I want to do one on survival. Um, those are just important sh- as people get out more, the weather's warming up. Those are just tremendous things that people need to be aware of. In fact, let's go to the phones. Brad Peterson is joining us, and he's going to talk about boat ramp openings and some fishing updates. But, Brad, you uh, you know very well the dangers of tick-borne diseases, don't you? Uh, I do. I was uh, diagnosed with Lyme disease probably, well, back in 2013, and um, took almost a year of treatment to get over it. And I tell you what, um, it's it's not a pleasant thing, and you can do some precautionary measures to really reduce your risk chances. And I would suggest that for anyone who's going to be spending a lot of time out in the woods, especially in the springtime. Our ticks out here really get active, you know, kind of that beginning, about the second, third week of turkey season, into April, into May. And... Um, it's better to take the extra time up front and uh, be prepared than to deal with the the consequences afterwards. You know, before we get to the boat ramps and the fishing, I've been putting, and I'm struggling for the name that you put on your clothes. I've been putting that on my clothes, and I haven't had any ticks on me since I put that on. Do you use that? Yeah, I think it's called like uh, Permethrion or something like that. Um it's one that you spray on your clothes and you let it sit there and let it dry. Don't do it while you have your clothes on. And that will actually kill the ticks and it lasts through several washes. And one of the interesting things is I just bought some shirts from Shields and they actually have that built into the material and it lasts, uh, I believe they said 50 washes with that, uh, you know, that insect repellent in there so there are some companies now making clothing that does have that uh already pre-treated on there yeah and i think what i'm going to do the colorado tick 
Association or Society, which I can't remember the name, but she comes on almost every year with me, and they do a great job because um, she was suffering from Lyme disease in her family, and we'll get off of it here, but the important thing, too, is if you do get bit to get diagnosed early, the problem is a lot of these stu- this stuff goes undiagnosed for a long time, and then there can be long-term, even lifetime ramifications. But let's let's get to the um, the fishing updates, and the you know, we're at that where there's I doubt there's very much safe ice left on the front range, although Chatfield had eight nine eight or nine inches last week. I, I'm sure Nate will let us know where that's at, but I got a feeling that a lot of the boat ramps, uh, either the lakes are going to be open for open water fishing or a lot of boat ramps are starting to open. What are you seeing out there, Brad? Yeah, that's exactly right, Terry. We had, uh, you know, Lawn Hagler and Douglas both have been right at the edge of, of allowing boats uh, because they don't require inspections. And then on Friday, Boyd was the first lake along the front range that started doing inspections and allowing boats to launch. And just, you know, looking out, Jackson should be opening any time here. They won't have inspections until April 1st, but they do inspections at their office. You just need to call and figure out the hours, or if you're pre-inspected, you can launch. And then, Somewhere around, you know, March 14th to 16th, Sterling's talking about opening. So we're right there at that that time when, you know, we're going to get a lot of boat ramps opening. The water's opening up, you know, Friday when the boat ramp opened at Boyd, they went and put 5,000 catchable trout in there. So they're starting to stock the lakes as well. It's, it's really a time to get out there and capitalize on some of these fish that haven't been really harassed this winter because – the ice fishing conditions weren't the best. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I want to talk the two species that people probably love to target the most in Colorado this time of the year as the lakes are opening up, whether it's from shore or a boat, are trout and walleyes. Now, the walleye guys, you know, you can catch the walleyes from shore at night, especially, and there is some pretty good bites that will be going on a lot of the front range lakes, but a lot of the boat guys really want to get out there and get the walleyes. Most of these lakes, I would think the walleyes are in pre-spawn or spawn. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I talked to some guys that were out on Friday catching the walleyes at uh, Boyd, and they caught some fish in that you know upper teen range, and they said those males were not milting yet. So I think you're still probably a couple week or two away from the the spawn really hitting up here but you know it's it's just a matter of a few warm days that ice going away and those fish are going to be ready to go so i'm going to target those spawning areas whether it's water current that's coming in or a little bit more rocky shoreline um do remember that last year they changed the rules in chatfield cherry creek and pueblo the dams are closed starting march 1st through april 15th at night for the possible spawning operations that are going on. But there's a lot of other spots in those lakes that you can fish. You know, the inlet area at Boyd, um, Jackson water's flowing in. There's a lot of fish moving in there. Um, the dams and just rocky shorelines, even along some of the ponds. A lot of our ponds get stocked with walleyes, and people don't fish them much. But the springtime, those fish are really uh, susceptible to shoreline anglers. Well, and I always want to tell people, springtime with the weather on and off again can be the most volatile bite for the walleyes, especially where they may you may and sometimes 
depending on what you're doing, if you're out there, uh, you know, looking for those big fish, you may be fishing for only three or four bites in a night. If you're out there looking for numbers, uh, they may turn on one day, which is going to be mostly the males, but you get a weather condition and the same place the next day. It's You'd think there wasn't a fish in the lake. Has that been your experience? It has. And one of the things, if you're fishing those areas that fish are coming into to spawn that can be really unique about this time of year is, you know, sometimes those fish come in right at dark, but there's sometimes you won't see a bite. You know, that, that change happens even in the night, you know, you may not get a bite and all of a sudden at 1030, you know, 1030 to say midnight or one o'clock, it's nonstop action. And then after one o'clock, it just completely dies down. So you need to put your time in, target those high percentage areas and, Two presentations that I, I find being the very best are either a jerk bait and work it, you know, a, a tug and then let it pause, a suspending jerk bait, or a jig in plastic like um, a two and three quarter inch bio bait twister or a, a swim bait. One of those type presentations, both of those work very well for those springtime walleyes and just vary it up and just if you're out there targeting them, know you're going to have to put your time in, but you will be rewarded. Now let's switch gears while we still got a few minutes left, because for the average weekend angler, and if you want to take some kids out, or if you're just like me and you're walking along the shore and you feel like you're 12 years old and love to catch fish, as these as the ice has receded on the small lakes and even the big ones, and you mentioned they're stocking those trout are going to become really susceptible both from shore and a boat, but you can do almost as well from shore because this water warms all the bug life is in towards shore and the rainbows are trying to think they can spawn and a lot going on. And what I like to do this time of the year is go back and look at the fall, see which ones were stocked heavily just before ice and in the fall, and then which ones are getting stocked now and just go out with, in fact, a lure that we're going to talk about I don't even want to mention it right now, but we're going to talk about it later on in the show. But there's a ton of different presentations, and the ice doesn't even have to be off the lake. I've had where I've actually cast onto the ice and then reeled it into the water, but that trout bite should be phenomenal for the next couple of weeks. It definitely should be. There's um, there's a lot of opportunities, like you say, it, as long as the the ice has receded out to where there's three or four foot of depth at water depth at the edge of the ice there's going to be fish cruising along there and you know some places that may be 10 feet out other places that might you might need to be 30 feet out but as long as you've got that depth those trout are going to be cruising and um, you know uh, again it's still cold water temperatures so slower presentations whether it's jigs and one that a lot of people don't think about is the old traditional beetle spin uh, a jig head with some sort of a, a twister body and that little, you know, like small spinner bait works really good because that blade allows you to even slow that presentation down even more. And the flash and vibration really attracts those fish that are, in a sense, getting out into the wild for the first time. Something that uh, catches their attention is really good. Now, some of the bigger reservoirs like Chatfield and Horsetooth, and uh, I would think even Boyd, um, some of those bigger reservoirs are going to have some fairly significant holdover trout of really good size. They'll be susceptible from shore and a boat. But the um, 
the the ones that are heavily stocked are going to give you the most action. And so you can kind of pick your poison or you can do both. You know, like you said, Boyd was just stocked. Well, Boyd's also a big enough lake where you could get a some pretty good size holdover trout. And then this as this goes on here, it's going to move up into the mountains over the next few weeks. And we'll see it happening up there, too. Yeah, exactly. The nice thing, if you're targeting these trout, especially from shoreline and the ice off fish, you know, we're just getting ice off here, but it may be another, you know, six, eight weeks before some of the real high lakes are losing their ice. So you've got a long window. You can kind of chase this along. And those bigger lakes or lakes that didn't get pressure over the winter are going to have some bigger fish. St. Vrain State Park is a prime example they only got about five, six days of ice fishing. They dumped a ton of fish in there right before the lake froze up. These fish aren't going to be big holdovers like you might see at a Boyd or a Chatfield or a Horsetooth, but they've grown all winter long. So instead of them being kind of those 10-inch fish, you might be getting some of those 12, 13-inch fish. And so a little bit of variety like that, even in some of those smaller ponds, can make for a lot of fun. But if you're targeting for numbers, I'm definitely going to target those smaller ponds. The fish are going to be a lot more receptive to biting. And also those fish are put in there for people to take because a lot of times in the summer, those ponds get too warm and not too many of those fish survive. So if you're wanting to go catch a few fish, maybe to smoke, cook on the grill, those small ponds are going to be great places to get fast action and some of those nice stalker-sized fish to for consumption as well. And that's true. The stockfish are put and take in most of our reservoirs, and you should harvest some and take some home. That's part of the experience. Last question, and i got to let you go. If you were headed out this afternoon or tomorrow, where would you go fishing? I think I would go to Boyd. I, getting the boat out is a great thing. You know, guys were catching walleyes, some trout. I heard of a few white bass being caught. That would be my first choice just because I've been chomping at the bit to get the boat on the water. I, I'm right there with you. Brad, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again, I'm sure, over the next few weeks because we're going to be going through a lot of changes and a lot of things taking off. Thanks for joining us Sounds this good, morning. Terry. Thank you. That's uh, Brad Peterson. Always a great resource here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to change things up. We're going to talk about the backcountry about animal interaction and avalanche danger with the snow we have right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going right to the phones, and uh, joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Jake Kay. Good morning, Jake. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. And You know, it is a... Um, incredibly gorgeous day today down on the front range it's going to be like 70 degrees and i think people forget that we still got a lot of winter weather and backcountry activities in the snow up in the mountains don't we absolutely and we're looking at 40 and and sunny skies here too it's pretty warm but uh there's a lot of snow out there and i expect we'll have a a lot more before the winter's over Uh, and we hope so because it's good for the water good for the skiing good for all kinds of activities but with the snow and the weather changes comes some dangers. Now, I know you're an, you're an avid backcountry guy. You love to spend time in the backcountry. But there's some things people need to be aware of. And one of them, especially as you get into this time of the year, is avalanches. Now, is the avalanche danger going to be more um, 
based on your activity while you're up there or where you go while you're up there or both? Uh, a little bit of both, mostly your location. Um, there's going to be various slopes that are more susceptible to avalanches. And of course that changes day to day and um, depending on the snow and the wind. Um, but what we often see in Colorado, um, some of our midwinter avalanches come from wind slabs or slabs that were built up. Um, and usually our winds come from the West or the Southwest or the Northwest. So just to give you an example, and this is not to be generalized, um, but a lot of east-facing slopes, for example, tend to slide because they get those big, you know, they're on the, the leeward side of things, so they get snow stacked up and transport in these big, heavy slabs. Um, above tree line, oftentimes, you'll see more avalanches, but it's, it can be really widespread. It's, avalanches are very complex. There's a lot that goes into it. And whether you're hiking, snowshoeing, snowmobiling, or skiing, um, you know, if you're in avalanche terrain, you can, you can be in trouble. So. Now, what are some of the best things I can do if I'm headed up into the high country to not only be aware, to make sure maybe I avoid a tragedy? Yeah, so first is I'd recommend taking an avalanche course, and there's a lot available around Colorado. You'd want one that's certified by uh, the American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education, and most are. Um, but that's a great way to get started. Usually it's a two- to three-day course. And it'll give you a, a general background on avalanches and the terrain and how to manage them. Um, but another great resource is the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. That's avalanche.state.co.us. And every day they have reports for different regions around the state. Um, you can look at the avalanche forecast as well as they have discussions. So that's a, a great way to get yourself into the loop and get a general idea of what's going on out on the slopes. Now, if I'm headed up, and I've checked the areas, but, you know, you can't always tell. Things develop that don't get reported. What type of equipment or special clothing or equipment should I have with me in case something does happen? Right. That's a good point. So at a minimum, what you're going to want to have, if you're going to be in any kind of avalanche terrain, is um, an avalanche beacon, a probe, and a shovel. Um, one thing I'd emphasize is I think a lot of folks who are maybe sticking to the trail think, well, I'm not in avalanche terrain you know, I don't need that stuff or I don't need that training. But a lot of times what we see is even hikers and snowshoers get slid because they'll be walking in drainages below steep slopes that can slide. And it may look like a really tame area, um, but if you're not looking at what's, what's above you, you can get into trouble. So absolutely, if you're coming even close to that type of terrain, beacon, shovel, probe, and more importantly is the knowledge of, of how to use them. And that's taking a course, practicing with your buddies, um, and just getting used to the equipment. Yeah, I think one thing we want to stress is we're giving generalities here, pointing them to some directions, but certainly what you're going to gain in this 10-minute interview isn't going to prepare you for avalanche country. Yeah, in no way, shape, or form. I mean, this is a good heads-up and, uh, again, hoping to raise awareness for avalanches, but also just that winter's a great time to get out. Um, but before you go out and recreate, especially on the steeper slopes and avalanche country, Go get some training and, and get some practice. Well, and, and even still, be, be so aware of what you're doing out there. What type, is there any certain activities that tend to trigger maybe a few more avalanches or the people get caught in, like maybe snowmobiling or something, or is it widespread? Well, it, it, again, it's, it's a little widespread because you could be on foot and trigger an avalanche if you're in the right spot. But typically the heavier you are, the more likely you are to impact a weak layer. So 
for example, right now, a lot of our persistent weak layers, um, and those are the layers that collapse underneath the slab, which then allow the slab to slide. But a lot of those are buried pretty deep right now. And it can give a lot of us a false sense of safety. And so either if you're in a shallower area of the snowpack where you can affect that layer, um, but also if you're heavier. So you were asking about what activities. A snowmobile clearly is going to be more weight because you're looking at, you know, three to 600 pounds of snowmobile plus yourself and your backpack. Inevitably, you're going to affect those, those deeper layers um, more so than someone who's just on skis. And, you know, again, folks, uh, we don't want to get it, you know, anybody to not go outside in the outdoors. Colorado has such a tremendous outdoor recreation, but avalanches are danger and they take a number of lives every year. And we just want you to be so careful and cautious and do some planning and let people know where you're going, but really get the information, go to the, we'll give you those areas to get that information again before we end this segment. And while we're talking about snowmobilers uh, and this in also should include hikers and anybody in the backcountry. We're seeing a lot of moose move maybe a little bit further down than they would have in a, a winter where we didn't have so much snow. And I don't know if people understand how dangerous. Well, we're seeing them right in towns interact. I think sometimes people don't realize how dangerous in the backcountry or anywhere a moose can be. Because of the amount of snow we have, moose out using groomed trails, hikers and snowmobilers can head into the um can head into, you know, they're going to, they could run into moose. We're seeing moose in right in some towns. And uh, I don't think people understand how dangerous moose are. Yeah, absolutely. I think people typically think of bears and lions as, as being dangerous, but we have more moose attacks than anything. And um, you're exactly right. We had a big uh, February in terms of snow. A lot of moose have moved lower down into towns, onto trails. And in a way, they're just like us. You know, they want the easiest way to move around, so they'll take those groomed trails. And we're running into a lot of conflicts. We're seeing, uh, you know, cross-country skiers and snowshoers running into moose. So this is the time of year where those conflicts are definitely ramping up. So I'm headed on a trail, whether I'm on a snowmobile or cross-country skiing or snowshoeing or hiking, and I see a moose ahead of me on the trail. What type of action should I take? So for starters... Stop. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, oh, it's a moose. I agree, it's very cool, but you want to keep your distance. They look kind of slow and clumsy, but they're incredibly fast, and they can they can move faster than you. So for starters, keep your distance. You know, CPW, we always advertise the rule of thumb. If you can cover that animal up with the tip of your thumb, then you're at a good distance. If not, you're too close. Um, but a big thing is, especially we see with snowmobilers, is they try and work their way around the moose. Um, and moose are probably not going to get off that groomed trail because they don't want to go in the deep snow. And they're also not very scared of humans. So they're like, and, and we see videos all the time of snowmobilers getting charged and things like that. So, Terry, best thing you could do there is give it distance, turn around, find another place to go play. Well, and I think another thing, if you're not on a snowmobile, you're out hiking, walking, snowshoeing, uh, dogs anywhere near moose are just spell trouble. Absolutely. And we, you know, there's even a statistic on our website of, I think, 15 documented moose um, attacks on humans or conflicts. 13 of those were started by dogs. And even in, in my district here up in Summit County, we're having issues with that right now. And the problem is, is, you know, the only real natural predator of, of moose has been wolves. And so, you know, they've evolved to be aggressive and defend themselves from wolves. And so they see a dog barking. Um, 
you know, they get mad, they get angry. And usually what happens is the dog goes and finds a moose and then runs back to mom or dad and brings the moose with it. So if and then, in an area with the, then moose, the person gets stomped and the moose and the dog runs away. So, but yeah, exactly. I, I, mean, I know. After in the snow, you are your dog. Yeah. And, you know, um, even on a leash, dogs can trigger. If you're in moose country, you really have to be aware that you probably shouldn't be taking your dog along with you if you're hiking in moose country. Right. And we had an incident recently, same thing, where a dog was very close to the owner, didn't run off or anything, but happened to be a, a cow and a, a calf moose and mom got, you know, agitated and defensive. So yeah, you really, we got to be careful when we're out there with our dogs. And I have a dog myself. It's great to get out, but just make sure you're doing it responsibly and carefully. Oh, exactly right. We're going to, we're out. We got about a minute left. Why don't you give the uh, information on how people can find more about avalanche, you know, avoiding avalanches and animal interaction? Sure. So we have a lot of great for have or for animal stuff. Um, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. If you just Google it, we have tons of information. Whether it be uh, moose or bears or lions, our website's full of good stuff. Avalanche wise, I'd say for starters, just to familiarize yourself, um, www.avalanche.state.co.us, and that's the Colorado uh, Avalanche Information Center. Um, great source of information. They have avalanche courses on their website and everything. Good place to start. And, you know, Terry, you mentioned it earlier too, is it's great to be avalanche aware, but I'm not trying to scare everyone off. It's winter is an amazing time to get out and enjoy Colorado. You're absolutely right. We want we don't want to keep people from going out. We just wanted them to do it in a safe way. And I wrote an article for the Denver Post on avalanches a couple of years ago. I'll see if I can dig that up and repost it on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And it, it gives you that information as far as where to get information. But, yeah, we don't want to dissuade anybody from, you know, and we live here because of the outdoors. Just do it safely and responsibly. Jake, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. You bet. That's uh, Jake Kay's uh a district wildlife manager up in Summit County, and just some good advice. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about a program for women who want to get into hunting. And we think this you're going to find this extremely, extremely interesting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to go right to the phones, and uh, joining us is Carrie Brackett, uh, she works with uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife in a program called Women Afield. Now, Carrie, we don't want women out there in the field. They're going to get in the way. Not true. I'm just kidding. You know that. I'm a, I'm an avid supporter of getting people outdoors, whether it's men, women, children. I'm, I'm almost, uh, you know, it's just almost like a religion to me. I think getting people outdoors is is just the most wonderful thing. And more and more women are going outdoors. And, you know, uh, I grew up in a generation where you learned the outdoors as a part of your family. And I think you did the same. Is that right? I did. We um, we hunted every year as much as possible, as often as possible. And that's the way my parents fed the family. And, and you know, and it was tradition and it was more involved and a lot going on there. But I think now... Because we've 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 kind of transitioned from an agrarian society where the outdoors was our backyard to an urban society 
and family structure has changed. You have more single families. You have more people, even if they are complete families, growing up in urban environments, and they haven't been exposed to the outdoors. And I think if you read the statistics, the two things that keep people from going out and enjoying the outdoors, one is access to the outdoors, and two is knowledge and how to do it. And with a fast-growing group like Women in the Outdoors, uh, Women Afield is a great program to get women started into outdoor activities, isn't it? That's right, Terry. Um, hunting is a big part of my heritage and Colorado's heritage, it's, and it's a very important part of our wildlife management. And uh, so tell us a little bit about the program. Tell us uh, how. You know, you're taking women afield. What are you trying to do when you take these women out into the field? Well, when we go out into the field, um, we typically have an, an all-women group where women have different basic needs in the field. And um, it's nice to learn that in a comfortable environment with other women. And we can sort of mentor women through being in the outdoors. We teach uh, basic Hunting skills, outdoor skills, game management, shooting, um, and angling skills. And survival, too, I believe, outdoors. Absolutely. Now, when you're getting women, we'll come back to the course a little bit again, but you mentioned a couple things, and I want to go on to a couple others. And one is that um, sometimes women are feel more comfortable, and it's easier for them to learn from other women because they identify better. And that's especially true, and I know this for a fact, if you're trying to teach your spouse something. Right, Carrie, and I hear that over and over from women. And, and how many times have you been in a situation, and, and men and women think differently. Men have these technical brains, and and women have these emotional brains, and, and we see more game. We hunt slower because we don't have the physical strength, and possibly that's why we see more game. We tend to be very accurate shots, and, and we don't take risky shots, and we don't add in a lot of windage. And if you're 100 yards away from game, you you measure blah, 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 blah. We have a tendency to just make a shot and typically a good shot. What works at the range works in the field. All right. So you know, the approach of women is different because they're they're – physiologically and psychologically different than men. And, you know, and that's a good thing. I mean, you know, that doesn't mean one's better than the other. It just means maybe your approach is different. I think another barrier that's kept women from getting into the outdoors more has been up till maybe the last decade was the lack of gear. I know so many women that used to complain they'd want to go fishing and they had put on men's waders and they weren't very flattering and they didn't fit very well. Or they buying a gun that fits properly. The industry is really starting to step up, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I am a lifelong hunter. I've been hunting since I was a small child. And for many, many decades, I had to wear boys' gear. And men are shaped differently from women. The gear does not fit correctly. If it fits right in the legs, it doesn't fit right in the waist. It's too long. It's too short. It's you know, bibbed overalls just don't work for women in the field. And so we've seen a lot of change in the equipments there. So now we've got new attitudes. We've got women who want to get outdoors, whether it's just because they want to be an outdoor person or they want to 
participate in outdoors, maybe with their spouse or their children or other friends or family members. So they sign up for this program. We'll tell them how to do that later. Tell, take me through. I, a woman signs up. What's the experience? What, what is she going to expect to do? Okay, she's going to expect to um, be contacted by a hunt master in advance of the hunt, and um, he or she is available to answer any participant questions and make pre-preparations. And the day the hunt starts, we meet at a designated site for a short briefing. We check everyone's paperwork, sign waivers from there. We caravan to the shooting range where... Firearms are inspected and checked. Hunters are assigned to guides. The ladies will usually hunt with the same guide throughout the event. Um, We have a safety discussion, of course, shooting practice and sighting in, making sure everybody's on the red dot, and we caravan to a campsite and set up camp. Everybody participates in every piece of the hunt. So you're setting up camp. Uh, are these typically you camp from tents? Do you, uh, and what type of animals are you pursuing usually? Usually um, big game, small game, uh, waterfowl. Uh, waterfowls are usually one-day hunts. There's also a turkey hunt. I do believe, I saw online yesterday, the turkey hunt applications are still open for the Women in Field program. And the big game opens up, I believe, the 15th of this month to submit applications. And so if I submit, where would I go if I was a woman to submit my application and sign up? And what are the chances I can participate in one of these hunts? Well, preference goes to a a population that has little or no hunting experience, just so we we can help the people that want to hunt, get out in the field, get familiar with uh, how it works. And the CPW website has an outreach program. If you click on that tab, go to the Women of Field program, your application's right there. You can fill it out online. Now, if I'm lucky enough to harvest an animal, do you take care of it for me or what do I do? Well, as I said, Terry, everyone participates in every bit of the hunt. So, Let's say that a hunter gets a deer. Then once that harvest is made, the guide that's assigned to that hunter will help with field dressing, but we like to see that a hunter is willing to do that sort of work themselves. So we do field dressing, skinning, quartering, and then it is up to the hunter how they want to have that meat processed. Okay, so you really take them through every aspect of the hunts. And again, why don't you again tell them where they can find information on these hunts? On the CPW website, it is cpw.state.co.us slash learn slash pages slash outreach women. And you said there's a number of hunts and there's even fishing uh, classes or fishing opportunities too. Is that right? There are. There are angling opportunities, and there are big game, small game, turkey, and often upland birds, waterfowl. All right. There are lots of options available. All right. It sounds like a great, great program, Carrie. Thank you for joining us and sharing it with us. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Terry. You bet. That's uh, 
Carrie Brackett. She's uh, <clears throat> uh, one of the guides that helps with this program. And, you know, if, if you've listened to the show, you know that I'm almost evangelistic about getting people into the outdoors. And I think it's critical for our heritage of hunting uh, and fishing to maintain those, to have participation. And one of the fastest growing groups in the outdoor community are women. You know, we used to think it was a man's rugged outdoor activity. But I can tell you that Karen has traveled the world with me fishing. Uh, she's got Master Angler Awards from all over the world. She hunted even before she knew me, and she, she shoots on a regular basis. She's my wife, of course, and my producer. And I'll tell you what, guys, you get that best friend. Um, sometimes it's hard to teach her, but if you get her involved in one of these programs and then she wants to go hunting or shooting or fishing with you, you've got a fishing buddy for forever, and it helps you get out of the house too because they want to go as much as you do. But it's it's just important, and maybe there's single uh, parents out there who want to get their kids involved, especially moms. They want their kids to learn to fish or hunt or just learn to experience the outdoors. You need to look at these programs that uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife have and all the different opportunities that are available. Go to the Parks and Wildlife website and just look at these. They open up at different times. Sign up. And I, I forgot to mention, well, well, Carrie was on. I asked her how many people get into these programs, and she goes, they're pretty robust about getting people in. So it isn't just one or two opportunities. There's opportunities throughout the state for a number of people. So take advantage of it and get out, uh, get outside. I tell you what, we're going to take a quick time out, and if I'm not surprised, we might start talking about some trivia here uh, in the next segment on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And uh, you should follow us on Facebook and follow our YouTube channel. And this, is going to be, this segment is going to be a great example of why you should. Um, whenever we do trivia on the show, we try to line up some good prizes. Uh, we usually somehow hint at the answer on our Facebook page. Sometimes we just give you the answer. Uh, this time we did it a little different. We used the Facebook page to send you to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, to uh, have you research for the answer. And we're going to give that out here in just a couple minutes. But uh, Facebook, we try to keep track of, like, you'd have known that later on in the next hour, Bobby Hicks is going to join us, and we're going to talk turkey hunting for about 45 minutes after Nate's segment. And we're going to talk turkey patterning guns with JR and just a lot of great turkey information. You'd know that if you followed us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You'd also be aware of the trivia question, and we're giving away a $50 lure package from... Uh, discount fishing tackle on South Santa Fe to the answer. And here's what you have to do. The question is, I did a, a show on Lon Hagler Reservoir fishing for trout in the spring. So our Facebook page said, sent you to watch that show and tell me what lure I predominantly used in that show. The first one to call, 303-713-1043, with the answer is going to come on the air with me and tell me what I used on that show. And they'll get a $50 lure package from Discount Tackle. So 303-713-1043. You have to call in. The first one to call in with the correct answer to the trivia 
gets a $50 lure package from Discount Tackle. So, And while we're waiting for that calls to come in, because there is a short delay, so I won't, uh, I won't see the phone lines light up here for a minute, but when, when people, this time of the year we talked about with Brad Peterson, one of the best consistent bites on the front range of Colorado uh, is, is the spring trout as the ice goes off the lakes. And that's what um, that's what uh, what's going to be um, what we're going to talk about how you would use this lure. So, Karen, do we have a winner? So I can. Um, so as soon as she puts that person on hold, I will go to the phones and we will talk to them about that lure. Um, so I have to get her uh, to put him on, put him or her on hold here, and then we're going to give away that fifty dollar package. So I'm. I think she's getting the information. There we go. So I am going to go to the phones. And who am I speaking to? This is Joe. Joe, good morning. What lure did I use when I was fishing Lawn Hagler Reservoir? That's a Panther Martin little spinner. Exactly. Now, I would have accepted Panther Martin was the best answer. I would have also accepted, you know, an inline spinner. I would have even accepted a MEPS or a rooster tail, because they all have similar applications. Do you use those kind of spinners very much? No, I'm usually a fly fisherman on there. I got a little belly boat I go out and dock around in. I'll tell you what, I do a lot of fly fishing myself, but sometimes it's hard to get them on the fly. And by using those little spinners, sometimes maybe it's windy or they're deeper or you're just fishing from shore. Or maybe you have a, a, a partner you want to take with you who doesn't fly fish, but you're in a flies and lures only type environment and they can fish conventional. So it ends up being a great lure package to uh, use in those situations. The package is going to include a number of inline spinners and some spoons. And it's, uh, do you know the folks down at Discount Fishing Tackle? They also sell fly gear there, by the way. I've been there a few times, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm, I don't know if Karen got your information, but I'm going to put you back on hold in a minute to make sure she's got your information, and then you'll be able to stop by the store and get your lure package. Where are your summer, your favorite places to fish? Well, I go out to uh, Univista area. I fish a little ponds around there. You know, you talked about fishing in a belly boat, and fishing those small bodies of water in a belly boat are just, they're so relaxing and so much fun, aren't they? Oh, yeah. So, so I well, thank you for joining us, and enjoy the lure package, and thank you for being the winner. I'll put you on hold, and they'll take care of you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to the show, too. We appreciate that. And we'll put you on hold, and... So Joe uh, was our winner. And let me tell you, that there's another part to this, though. If you read what we put on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, Discount Tackle has agreed that anybody who stops by the store until close of shop tomorrow and says Terry was fishing Lawn Hagler with a Panther Martin or an inline spinner or something like that, um, we're going to, uh, they will give you, one of those lures. Everybody that stops by and says that, I guess there might be a well supplies last thing, but I think they'll take care of you. I talked to Austin Parr there, and he was pretty confident. So anybody that stops by Discount Tackle on South Santa Fe between the now and the close tomorrow, in fact, it started since we posted it on Facebook, all you have to do 
is go to a discount fishing tackle. You're driving by. You've never been in. Here's a great chance to bop in there, take a look around. You're going to be impressed by everything they have. Get your free lure and meet some of the guys. Get some fishing information. So go by there, and you're going to get a free inline spinner uh, just for stopping by and saying that's what Terry was using on Lawn Hagler. So go ahead and get those. And we talked earlier with Brad Peterson about the trout being uh, a, a great time for springtime trout. And I'll tell you what, I have done so well with these little spinners, both from a boat and from shore. Um, the Lawn Hagler show, I just moved around the shoreline in my boat and just made casts to shore. And I, I, forgot, I just lost count of the number of trout I caught just using a little Panther Martin spinner with an ultralight rod, catching those stock trout. It was just so much fun. We're going to have another show coming up on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wistrom, where we do that from shore up at North Michigan Reservoir, just fishing from shore with little spinners. They're truly an effective bait, and not just for trout. You'll catch smallmouth. You'll even catch some walleyes, but you'll certainly catch trout, and you'll catch white bass. They're just a, a tremendous little lure that you should have as part of your arsenal. Remember, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and go to our YouTube channel, uh, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We'll take a time out. When we come back. Nate Zelinski will join us on 104.3 The Fan.